welcome to the Innovating Purpose podcast, where I'm striving to live intentionally and seeking clarity for new and young readers. Good morning, Newburgh Friends Church. And thank you for joining me here in this space, and it's good to be with you today in church. I uh, want to say that as I've been praying and preparing for this message, I want to take a little bit of a pivot because I think there's a lot of stuff happening all around us, uh, and I really want to focus in on uh, what God has to say about times like these. And I want to start us off with the thought and the, the idea that there are a lot of voices that are communicating to us in this season. Um, there are so many different people that have so many different things to say, whether it be media, whether it be news stations, whether it be the president or a governor. I feel like there is a lot of voices that are coming our way. Isn't it exhausting? Aren't you just exhausted with me? Um, and it's really tempting to just want to shut it all off. Um, but then I find myself some days watching it all and trying to keep up. Well, today I'm honored to bring you a message. And my genuine hope, my goal, is that we would know how to believe as the church and that we would experience how to respond as the church in the midst of the things that are happening all around us. Um, I believe that God does have things to say to us where we're currently living. I believe that he is relevant in the current world temperature. And I think that we need to pay attention to this. I want to acknowledge my story and my thoughts today. Uh, this is my attempt to navigate some troubling times. We live in a world that's very broken. I don't need to tell you this. You know this. You've experienced this. Perhaps you feel it a different way than me, but we can admit together that we live in broken times. And I also want to say, I don't know that this is ever needed in this space, but I want you to know that I don't know all the answers. Um, I certainly don't say that I am speaking for God, and I won't have the answers for everything. Um, I am finite. I am doing my very best to navigate these difficult times alongside you. But as we move forward, as the, we, the people of God, move forward, I believe that we should be willing to share our beliefs and the hope that is within us with the world that desperately needs to hear about hope. I believe that we uh, must be known, we the church must be known as encouragers. We must be full of hope. And we must be desperate to see people know God more fully, more completely, and know the heart of God. As we jump into an illustration, I wanted to think from that perspective, but jumping into maybe a silly illustration as well. I want you to consider the importance of advice and counsel that people offer to you. And the best way for me to navigate this is to think about the good old days when you would go on a road trip. In those days, you would grab a map and you would gas up your vehicle and you would prepare for a good trip across the country. Or perhaps you wanted to try out a new place that was 100 miles away. As you charted your course, perhaps you mentioned how excited you were about this trip. And as you mentioned this, 
that person that you told wanted to give you a little insight. They said, ooh, have you ever tried this route? You might take this other road over here because it's faster, it's better. Or perhaps they say, you don't need to go as fast. You need to enjoy the scenery of the trip. You need to take this path over here because it's better. Or there's the person who just says, you have to get there as fast as humanly possible. And if you go this route, I guarantee it will save you 10 minutes. So off you go on your adventure. You get in your car and you jump in. And, you know, you've got all this advice. And I always laugh at some people's illustrations because they tell you how the crow flies and how that thing gets there. And and they tell you all their secret paths that they have. And truly in their heart, they're trying to be helpful. Well, you go on this journey and you imagine all these things, but sometimes you hit construction. Sometimes you miss a turn. And in the old days, there wasn't someone on your phone that was yelling at you, rerouting or fixing what you made the mistake of. So you would go on this journey and when you would enjoy, you would ride, you would drive. And before you know it, what happens as you begin? The person who was holding the map, suddenly the map is filling the entire vehicle. You're trying to find roads, and if you have an outdated map, some roads don't even exist on your map. It turns to chaos. Perhaps you you get annoyed or you shout at one another, "I, I am going the right way. This is the path we're supposed to be on. And you feel as though you're doing the right thing. But at the end of the trip, you, you lose your way and you begin to abandon reason and you, you stop at a gas station and you ask a gas station attendant and they give you advice and counsel to get you back on the road to head you in the right direction. And if you find that right gas station attendant, they'll tell you about how the crow flies and they'll tell you about the gravel roads you need to take or the large hay bale that you can't miss on your right on the southeast corner of the whatever, and they might talk about the old Jones place or Farmer Brown that used to live over there, and, that's the, and they give you all those other details. And before you know it, when you finally get to the destination, all of this trip was so confusing. But the whole goal is to get from point A to point B. And when you listen to all those voices... You can get really mad that you didn't take the correct route. You can blame the person who was telling you right beside you about a turn that you missed. You can blame the vehicle. You can blame everything around you. But at the end of the day, if you get to the destination, that's all that truly matters. And I know there's a thousand things on this roadmap of life. And as we transition to what this really means in real life, we can blame a lot of stuff. We can look to our story and say, I wish it would have been different, or I wish this wouldn't have happened to me, or this wasn't right, this wasn't good. And these are true, they're honest, and this is real to you. But the journey has gotten you to step B, and I don't know what step Z will look like for you. I don't know where the road or the journey ends for you, but I want you to experience and enjoy the road that you're on. You're going to run into errors and problems and nasty paths that you wish you wouldn't have had to experience. But the truth is, this is what makes us grow. Although we may hate some of our journey, that's you now. 
And there's injustices that are done to you and to me. And they're sickening and they're awful. That doesn't make those injustices right. But it is what is on your path. And I could wish for smooth sailing. I I could wish that you could just straight shoot your way through life and land there unscathed, unblemished, and having no flat tires. But the, the truth is, When you hit those flat tires, when you make a wrong turn, when you get off the path and you get bad counsel and you you chase after the things of this world, you start to recognize in your deepest core that we need to be trusting something much greater. And I believe that that's God. My role as a minister, as a pastor, is to dream about taking the right posture. My dream is to point you not to how your path is going to go, but to point you towards the prize. And that prize is having hope in Jesus Christ. Because all of this world leaves me less hopeful. All of the things that are done and the injustices I see leaves me desiring something greater. You see, I believe that I'm not made for this world. I get to experience this world, and I love so much of this world, but I also hate the injustices and the sin and the gross aspects of society that we live in. I can't broadly, sweepingly change all those things. I can't erase the things that are being done in society around me. But what I get to do is speak towards the love of God, What I get to do is express kindness, human kindness that we so desperately need in this hour. I get to show through action that there is a better way. I get to show through my prayer life that, you know, I trust and believe in a God who actually hears me and he cares for each person and he views each person as a real person, not just as some puppet that sits out there, that he just dangles the strings and makes people have terrible lives. So my hope in entering through that story is to now express that in this world, there is fear and there is grief. And I will get to some passages that I want us to soak on, but I believe that fear and grief are extremely prevalent and real. They are in our face as a society and us individually. Fear. You know, it surrounds us. It completely clouds over us. It it swallows people up into a a feeling of isolation, being surrounded by fear. If you've never lived in the Midwest or in a place that has tornadoes, you can see the people that have never experienced a tornado because when a tornado siren goes off, it's very clear something is happening. It's very loud, and they usually are on a rotating pedestal, so you kind of hear this woo, and it's super long and super loud. And when a tornado siren goes off, the message is clear, and you can see the fear that envelops certain people. I'm not talking about some of the people that want to just ride out a tornado and sit out on their front porch and enjoy it. I'm talking about the person who, in their eyes, you can see dread. You can see fear that it just shrivels them up. They want to jump into shelter. They want, it's debilitating. It, it completely surrounds them with 
an isolated feeling of what in the world is going on? And it is fear to its utmost degree. For those that are in the midst of fear and you feel frozen, I don't want to make fun of this. This is a reality that you're facing. I want to be able to sit with you. I want to encourage you and comfort you because if you're sitting in fear, I want to be able to give you this comfort and rest and shelter and encouragement and a glass of cold water and I want to be able to help you breathe again and I want to put my arm around you and I want to console you. Your, feel is, your feeling of fear is real. But there is no freedom and rescue if you remain in fear. Only hope can rescue you and give you true freedom. The second aspect is grief. Grief and sorrow will swallow you up. It is a terrible experience. It's the kind of thing that it doesn't allow you to come up for air. It it swallows you in chaos so that you can't even see the surrounding things that are all around you. You can't even snap back into reality. It's almost as though you're in a trance. There's a numbness that creeps into your life. There is a response to this crisis that you don't even know who you are. You don't even realize that you're still in reality. When I'm in the midst of chaos of this kind of sorrow, and it's only been a few times, but when I've been in this space, you you can't just snap out of it. One of my responses is physical activity. I'll I'll get up and I'll do something, whether it's build something, play with something, be active with my body, just to get broken away from the grief of thinking it over. It doesn't mean that my way is right. This is just how I process things. So, but what happens at the end of this day that I've been physically active is eventually I'm alone with my thoughts. And if you're alone with your thoughts and you're full of grief and sorrow and you haven't had someone who's listened to you, who's been with you, who's allowed you to be in that moment, those activities, they will never satisfy you. Eventually, you do have to deal with the deeper core issues. And I want you to realize it's okay to process these things. There's not a timetable on grief. Some people are able to function more quickly. doesn't mean that they've processed it correctly. But there's some people that it takes years to truly wrap their head around the grief and sorrow that is, has really hindered their ability to function. My hope is today that when we talk about fear and grief, these are so vital to understand because The only way to move forward, the only way way to process this is to find hope. And that's why I'm calling this today finding hope. A place that you can find reconciliation, a place that is less reactionary, a place where you feel prompted into loving action. That's the place that I want us to land You see, we are at a tipping point in our society. Chaos and hatred is filling the air. People have expressed how angry and volatile they are feeling. And this restlessness that our society is feeling, you don't have to take a pulse of our nation or the world even. It is a desire to see justice come out 
for all the injustices that they are feeling and they have seen or they have had done to them. People don't feel heard. They don't feel appreciated. They don't feel respected or valued. Now, I can't go in and analyze and evaluate each of these people, nor do I have the the professional ability to do so. But from my perspective, when I see this injustice that's around every corner, I recognize that these are individual injustices. And sometimes we're trying to take on the whole society's feeling of injustice. Perhaps you have felt this personally. You've experienced this type of pain and you've experienced someone saying a terrible, nasty, awful thing to you. Perhaps you've pushed that feeling way down so that no one sees your pain. Or perhaps your pain and frustration has become, has become explosive. It has come out in words and in actions. There is deep doubt and even anger towards God. And I want to admit that I see this in the world. They may not say that they're blaming God. Perhaps they label a person or a people group as the the thing that they're targeting on. But the reality is, is how, how could we possibly speak to this pain and suffering that the world is feeling? How could we even fathom that God sees our chaos and believe that he actually cares? When all of these pains feel so volatile, it almost, we start to dismiss God and say, he doesn't care or he doesn't see. So I want to ask, is hope in God unfounded and worthwhile? This leads me to scripture. And we have a reader that is going to take us to Romans uh, chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, and verse 13, as well as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. So let's look at this together. Romans 15, 5 through 6, and 13. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as if fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that God, the source of hope, will, f- will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. After reading these passages, I've been thinking about what's not working. And so it led me to a brick. And as I, as I hold this brick and as I look at this brick, I imagine, what's the immediate thought that comes to my mind when I see a brick? Depending where you're at in this world, um, I, I immediately think of a wall or building a wall, or perhaps building a structure, um, or even making a path out of it. Right now I'm building a path with bricks, so this is uh, evidently, it's right in my face, and I keep staring at these bricks. But, you know, bricks can also be used for violence. But, you know, I have to bring up that as the last illustration, because when I pick up a brick, I don't think about something that I want to smash with this. I think of its constructive use. But really, anything can be destructive. Anything can tear things down. But in and of itself, you see, the brick is neutral. 
It has to be told what its purpose is. If it's to build a wall and it becomes a wall, it's fulfilling its purpose. But if it's picked up in hatred and in violence and thrown, it's now a weapon. And as I, I, this concrete brick, I want us to really think through clearly that this brick, just like in our world, is neutral. And the injustices you see and the difficulties that you see, you are left with the opportunity to respond. You can blame the brick. You can blame the result of the brick. You can tell people to stop using bricks in that way. All of those are somewhat valid. But as I consider this more deeply, the issue isn't the brick at all. The issue is the heart. The heart of the holder of the brick. If the intentions are clear and good, it's a good thing. If they are not, then it is, it is something of violence. Let me switch gears. Humans left to their own doing and their own decisions and their own uh, decision-making situations, we are a pretty fickle creation. God made us and he gave us our own minds. In that authority that he gave us to be able to control our tongue, to be able to control our thoughts, to be able to control our actions, that's a wild card. God gave us the ability to do all of these things and we get to choose how we respond, how we think, how we do. You see, humans in and of ourselves, we create outrageous political systems. We create corruption to its core when we create these political systems, which in and of themselves, political systems are not evil. Rulers and authorities are not evil. But left to their own ways and their own human decisions, we see what happens. And I don't want us to miss uh, the, the factor that humans, from their inception, we don't evolve and get better into healthier thinkers. We don't create better ways of life always. We usually, the wealthy do get wealthier. The poor usually do get poor. The oppressed become more oppressed with more blame and rules that are placed on them. The people get stuck and trapped in debt usually are tried, they're tricked in, with incentives to try and get out of debt, but really it piles on more debt. We, see, we, we dangle these things in front of people and we, we tell them that there's, there's true hope and true worth, but we don't really define how to ever arrive at true worth and true hope. Real change rarely takes place, but it has to happen at the human level. It has to happen at the heart level. We can't blame society for all of these problems if you're not willing to change yourself. You can't blame all of these things that are around you without looking in the mirror and realizing that some of it is your problem as well. People want to, they want to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They want to pull themselves out of bad situations and unhealthy habits and addictive decisions. And I get it. We want to find true inner peace. That is something that we want. Or we yell loudly that there's injustice and that we want to change society. But I keep praying that there's a better way. 
There has to be a better way. Just yelling more loudly isn't creating solution. We're screaming of the injustice, but my friends, there has to be a better way. I want us to ask these questions. What is peace? What is true happiness? How do you define these? Can you even define true happiness? True peace? What is justice? How do we get true justice? Does it come in the form of an apology? Is true justice grieving corporately? What would make the world notice that we are sincere? Is publicly stating how awful some humans' decisions are, is that the right thing to say? Is that the right posture to take? Is stating that all of these injustices completely capturing the outrage that we feel? Does it do us any good to post a nice picture to try and capture that we sympathize enough? What about writing your anger towards injustice on social media? Does this solve it? For me, it falls so short. It's a tip of the iceberg of the reality that there is an inner brokenness that we feel and we see and we can take that pulse in society and know something is wrong. At our core, something is wrong. A brief reaction to a major human problem always feels like it falls flat. Whereas a true conversation with a neighbor, a friend, or a stranger, where I am actually listening to their story, I'm caring enough to respond and desiring to, to see them find true hope. That's the posture I want to take. Every story is real to them. Every has their own situation and injustice or justice that has happened in their life. But we have to take the time to be the church to them, to love them and to listen. Because when we truly listen to their story, this response, this desire to help them see God through our patience and our listening, I believe that this gets us closer to the heart of God. I want you to know that I'm outraged by what I see in society. It pains me. And I also want to recognize that I don't think that it's always appropriate to respond. We don't always have the right words. We don't always have to try and speak for society. As I see the, the current racial discrimination hitting its boiling point in our nation, the protests, I see all of these things. It doesn't even scratch the surface of all of the things that humans do that go against God's plan for a real, full, good life. My grief, I, I can't allow myself to be so hyper-focused on the current issues that I lose sight of all of the sin that is out there. These all grieve me, whether it be abortion or adultery or seeing lying and slander and gossip and divorce and murder and physical and sexual abuse. These just name a few, but these all outrage me. And if I try to fathom what these do to the heart of God, 
When he sees his people who are so broken, who chase after more brokenness and more violence and more hatred and more flinging of things and and flinging of ideas, it breaks me to my core. These grieve me to my core. All of these things that I described from abortion to lying, they are no worse, and, and they're certainly not any better Yet our attention is not nearly as focused on all of these other things. We we tend to get hyper-focused on the current thing that media is driving or the current thing that everyone is banding together to be outraged at. But I want us to consider, are you outraged at what sin does in our relationship with God? All sin True brokenness is the problem. Broken people need healing. And healing is only available by the one who created and crafted your soul. God is the one who knows you better than you know yourself. And you may have gotten yourself into terrible stuff. Or you may have had terrible stuff done to you. I believe that only God can heal that. I have to believe this. In my core, I know that only God can forgive and only God can heal. And we need to to really process this. As I consider all of this, I think, what does this do? due to the heart of God. I believe that God's heart breaks when he sees humans raising a fist or raising a brick towards God in their rage that eventually all of this rage and protest and anger will result in peace. I believe we must weep and grieve with each other. I believe that there must be a way of breaking through the noise of injustices and sin all around us that we are simply willing to listen to those who have been so wounded. I am so grieved that people have lost words on how to actually do something about all of this. You see, actions of malice are simply the injustices expressed, pain acted out upon or towards others. This is just an action of the things that are within you. People that are broken within and have forgotten how to have civil dialogue are simply expressing it in these violent ways. But as a follower of Jesus, do I dismiss all of this or do I sit with those who don't feel heard? I believe that today and every day that God does care, not in some superficial way, nothing on the surface level that would lead you to think that he just wishes we would all get along. I'm not saying that. I believe it's much deeper than a cordial get along with each other. I believe that there, this is about believing that there's a higher authority and that loves and cares for you in your innermost being. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have thought, and God will accept you as you are. But you've got to give up something. We must resist the temptation to think that we can solve any of this from our limited perspective. We must resist the urge to condemn others or some vague target that we can never actually hit. If you have two people that live in your home with you, 
You must choose to love them completely. If you have six neighbors, you must ask yourself, how can I speak the love of Christ into their life? How can I be the hands and feet of Christ to them? How can I listen to someone else's story? When have you actually asked to hear their story? Not that we can fix all of the injustices, but that we can know what took place and speak to them that it wasn't their fault. Things that are done to people is not their fault. That's not the issue. The issue is sin of another that's done something to them. These words, these looks that they've received, or the things that have been done to them, they were not right. We must help people to have the courage to know that they are loved the way they are right now. We must understand that people... This takes walking beside people, even when it is ugly. This takes messy tears and brokenness. This takes mourning alongside people. But revealing that we know the great physician who can truly heal this great hole that is vacant in their life. I believe in the hope that only God can give to us. The hope that has the power to save the world, not just me, to save the world, to save us from our ugliness, to heal our brokenness, to restore us back into right relationship with the one who created us. It was our sins that he carried. It was our hate that nailed him to the tree, as 1 Peter 2.24 says. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. If we were to say that we are redeemed, that we are free, then we have, that we are healed, then we should live with hope and truth. And Psalm 62 verse 5 says, yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Our hope must and it needs to be founded in our maker, the God of this universe. Our hope cannot be in a, some, some government. Our hope cannot reside in, in people. It, it can only reside in the one who is worthy of our praise. It can't just reside in the community of other people because people are sinful. Yes, we need to be the, the hands and feet of Christ, but people betray one another. So you have to have a deeper faith. Community won't save you. Friendly people won't save you. Doing kind gestures won't save you. Just patting someone on the back won't save them. The hope of the world is in Jesus Christ and the healing and restoration that only he can bring. So trust in another human to rescue us from this pain is short-sighted. We need to trust that this, this God who is purely and divinely and always good, that he is the only way of moving forward towards hope. I love the artwork that has been depicted and that, that Diane and I have worked on to create this image of what finding hope looks like. Because left to ourselves, our, our faith, our hope, and our love and belief in Jesus might seem outrageous to, and even foolish to the world. It appears to do nothing. It appears to fix nothing. It appears almost to the world as entirely opposite of the intended solution. But I, in fact, believe that given our current state and current course of action, our current 
path that this society is struggling with and the one that we are on where we yell our ideals and we, tr- we protest about intolerance and racism. These are real. They are not fake. People do and terrible things and say terrible things. But church, I want us to hear this. I want you to hear my heart. I am not turning a blind eye to society. I'm grieved to my core about the injustices that have been done and the things that have been said and the, the sense of panic and grief and sorrow that is sweeping across our nation. And I haven't even expressed the pains that I've felt in my life today. The number of outrageous things that we, sue, we say and we do to each other, it is unacceptable. To do nothing, that's not right either. To grieve feels insufficient. But this is where I am. I am broken alongside you, along those that are broken. I want you to know and to pray that those that that feel forgotten in this moment, that they would feel like someone cares. They would know that I care and that you care. I want to pray for miracles so that people will begin to see that only the only hope that is worth pursuing, the only hope that is available can come through God and it will come through God. He is the only one that can perform miracles. I would love to raise my prayers to the Lord and stand before the Lord alongside you so that you feel heard, so that you know that God is listening. I want you to believe. I want you to see that God's way, the way of peace, the way of listening to others is the path towards finding hope. Can you comprehend joining hands together with one voice saying enough of the hatred? Let's love one another. Let's apologize for our errors. Let's clear off the rubble of our streets and the debris in our hearts and find a better way moving forward. A way that shows that God's love is greater than the rage and the terror and the the grief and the anger and all of the things that we are feeling. My prayer is that we will be the hands and feet of kindness, the kind of love that only Jesus shows us that we would be this kindness to the world that needs to see it today, to know the heart of God. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, we stand before you right now and we recognize that we are in the midst of a broken and difficult road. And it feels like we're lost and we're having trouble navigating. Help, I ask, Lord, that you'd help us to navigate back to your heart. We would navigate towards the hope and the healing that you can provide. That we wouldn't just keep raising our banners of what we think to be right. Instead, we would listen to you, God. We would weep with those who weep. We would listen to those who are crying, crying out for justice. And we would recognize that you, Jesus, are the only one that brings true justice. And it doesn't always look the way we think it should look. And some of our paths are pretty broken and bumpy and rough. And we feel like we've made terrible turns. And we are so lost. Lord, would we grab hold 
of the person beside us, you, Jesus, and say, Jesus, help me. I am lost. I am broken. And these feelings of unrest, these feelings of protest, Jesus, guard my words, guard my actions, and that we would find a way to true forgiveness, true hope that leads through the darkness. That you would hold us, Lord. We desperately need your embrace. We desperately need to know your love, which covers all of our wrongs and the wrongs that have been done to us. We'd release them back to you, Lord, and say, I am yours, Jesus. I give you my life. Help me to be a peaceful, kind, caring, loving individual that can help this world that is so broken. May we be these people. May we stand in the gap and not allow the enemy to keep insisting that violence and anger and protest will ever get us there. Your ways, Jesus, that's what we pray for. Your ways, not our own. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, my friends, for being with me in this space. Let's get on our knees this week and pray that God allows us opportunity to love, to care, and to comfort. As we go into this week, be blessed. Thanks for being here.